When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another edition of the Psychovetical Podcast, our weekly chat about climbing and stuff. Um, this is the higher education episode, which is it's supposed to be every Tuesday. I don't know what day this is, so wherever you are in the world, uh, hopefully it's Tuesday. I'm your host, Andy Kirkpatrick, and uh, this week, uh, quite a few questions, and I'm not going to answer all of them. Um I'm gonna. I've just got like two questions. I'm gonna to reply to people. Uh, one of them's funny, and one of them's um, uh, one of them's like more sort of more general. It's something people talk about a lot. And then I'm all. Then I'm also because I'm. I'm trying to learn how to read. <laughs> read while I'm doing this. So uh, I was gonna read uh, one of my uh, tip things I did recently, and then just talk about that. So hopefully you in, in, will enjoy this. So, um, so number one, I didn't. Uh, it was I had actually a while a while back. Someone was asking me about keeping your nether regions warm uh, in winter. Now, uh, for for those who don't know what your nether regions are, basically it means like your your family jewels, your <laughs> your uh, well, what other names are they called anyway? Basically, your 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 genitals. Um, Women don't seem to have such a big problem, but then I guess they have more other other kind of problems with like, you know, other 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 bodily parts. I'm not really sure. I don't I don't want to I don't want to um, go into that. Um, it's not really my women's breasts is not my speciality. Uh, although I will I will I will. I, 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 um, <laughs> someone's phone's going on outside outside my door now. It's probably the police. Um, Although saying that, I do. I'd actually had. I have actually had a few emails from from uh, from women um, uh, listening to this podcast. This is only for men. This podcast. Please stop listening to it because I'm going to like. I'm going to say loads of embarrassing stuff that you know men don't want women to know about about climbing and stuff. So, um, uh, but if there are any women listen, women in women listening, or any men who want to you know like get a good sort of line, if you want to. You know, if you like courting or something, you know, and you you know you want to come out with some like cool line or something. Um, it's very important if you're a woman to learn how to piss into a Nalgene bottle. Like, do you want to go? Shall I go go on further? Um, like, I think this is one of the number one 
nor one of the number one issues to do with women and mountaineering because there just aren't that many women 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 uh, doing um doing mountaineering like there's you know they're kind of like fanning around you know like oh look at me i'm skiing and all that kind of stuff oh um but they're uh uh the 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 issue is like today i saw this you know these guys thingy bowie and that like that kind of person are on a broad peak trying to winter ascent of broad peak and i think one of the one of the i think his girlfriend was carrying a heavy rucksack and he was like oh she was doing really well and all that kind of stuff and and i had that kind of like feminist thing like you asshole you know like don't you you know all that all that kind of stuff um, I recently tried to. I, really, I recently submitted an article, uh, well, an idea for an article to a very famous climbing magazine. I won't, I won't, um, I won't uh, tell you which one it was. Uh, uh, about me and Vanessa trying to climb Denali in winter, which I thought, which would be an amazing story because, you know, she's a woman and she got like almost the top of Denali in winter with like not a great deal of experience of that kind of stuff. You know, super, I think trying to climb Denali in winter is probably one of the most gnarliest things anyone could could try probably. Anyway, but um, I got 10 down because of uh, sort of a gender stereotyping that, you know, I was this man climbing up the mountain with my girlfriend and she was rubbish and all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, I was lit, I was literally like, I was so angry with this guy, the editor of the magazine, and uh, and a better man would have just taken it as a, you know. But I was just like, like, look, you need to fucking give up your job as being an editor because this is not what an editor does, you know. Like, hey, hey, I'm a bloody good writer. I'm gonna say it. I'm a good. I'm a good writer. I could write a really good story about going to Denali. And don't you presume that I'm gonna fucking write something? saying that I'm an amazing guy and my wife is like dragging, crawling behind me the whole way up and like, oh, please save me, my husband. You know, like she's like way more hardcore than I am. And that is probably, if you want to write, if you want someone to write stories that are going to, if women don't bloody write anything, you know, they're always like whinging on about this kind of shit, but they never ever fucking get their arse into gear and write anything. So if you're a woman out there and you are listening to this, I told you to t- to stop listening earlier on. But if you're still listening... You know, then um, <laughs> I was going to say like doing the washing up or something, but that would be sexist. I've just done the washing up, so I feel I can say that. I nearly bloody burnt my hands off. The water here is like so hot. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, so write something. Start bloody writing about your experiences. Doesn't matter how, don't bring in gender into it though. That's a bit of advice. That's my advice to you. Don't make it about you being a woman. Just make it about you being a human being. And I just think so many really talented writers, I this is my again, this is my opinion. So many talented writers are just getting totally hijacked by all this kind of bullshit stuff that is just dehumanizing them and and it just you know it's just not it's like it's like it's like tying your writing around some uh, you know, like like some band that's big at the moment that it's just going to make, it's not going to make any sense. People are just going to think you're stupid, you know, like in, they're not going to think you were being, you know, like all this kind of stuff. So, um, so it's, I hope women not listen to this because they're all going to be like, Oh God, you know, like, you know, sending me emails and being horrible to me and stuff like that. Um, what was my point? Oh yeah. Pissing into an algae bottle. Now, now this, like for a man, this is like, you know, like this is like 
Mountaineering 101, you have to learn how to, not only you have to learn to piss into something, um, like ideally you have this, you begin with a, you begin with a bottle and then you basically end with your cup, as in, you know, there's like a thing where you, I wrote, I wrote a story called The Ode to a Piss Bottle. So you begin with a bottle and then you, then you sort of develop, you, you sort of get you're more sophisticated until you just end up pissing into your cup that you drink out of, which is totally fine. It's like the Romans used to do it. Um... But uh, you have to also learn to piss on your side. That's very important. None of these, like, don't want one of these people have to, like, get out of the sleeping bag and piss into a bottle. Like, that's just, like, you're a total loser. Uh, but women, like, this is the big thing for women is when it's, when you're on a tiny bivy ledge or you're in a, tar- you're in a tiny mountaineering tent, there's no room whatsoever. There's just no way you are going to get out of your sleeping bag and start walking around to have a piss. And if you can't have a piss, you're going to be awake all night long. It's going to be like hell on earth. You're just not going to enjoy it whatsoever. So you have to learn how to piss into something inside your sleeping bag. Um, like you can't, <laughs> you can't do it on your side, but you can like kneel inside your sleeping bag and have a piss. And uh, unfortunately, shiwis just don't seem to work. Maybe they work for some people, but I just don't. You know, it doesn't seem to work for women, in my experience, for uh, for mountaineering. So basically, you have to piss in, learn to piss into a Nalgene bottle. Now, a Nalgene bottle's got a, you know, unless you've got like, unless you've got like a medical problem, you should be able to piss into a Nalgene bottle. And also, you need to know where your piss is coming out of as well, because again, like some women don't really know about these kind of things. So um, practice in the shower. Uh, make sure no one comes in because they'll wonder what you're doing. For men, you can practice having a poo into a bag as well. At the same time, it's kind of romantic. Uh, do that over the toilet because you, you think you know where your asshole is until you have to poo into a bag. Um, I don't know why you want to poo into a bag, but you know you want to. You know it's like equality. So women can poo into a bag as well. You know, not the same, not at the same time. Um, yeah, because if yeah, let, honestly, like, and this is if I give you if if, if any women are listening to this. Uh, this is the best advice you are ever, ever going to get in the world. Like, you know, you can bitch about women's waterproofs being A, pink, or B, black. Like, why can't we have nice colours? And why do we have to have bright colours? That kind of thing. But this is really, this is pissing into an algae bottle. It will change your life. So, um, so yeah, that's, so yeah, so I've, I'm straight off right there, right from this. But I didn't even, wasn't even meant to be talking about piss bottles. And maybe I'll cover piss bottles in more depth later some other time because, you know. I'm just going to have a tea break, really. Right. I'm trying to drink less tea because um, cause I have to get up so early in the morning. I know I always go on about how early I have to get up in the morning. Now, do anybody listen to Jocko Willink? Um, <laughs> Jocko Willink. Now, Jocko Willink is this guy. He's like this SEAL guy, like US Navy SEAL. And he's like the hardest. He sounds like the hardest man in the world. He's a bit... He's a, he's, He's a little bit too American. He's starting to become a bit of a cliche of himself now. So, um, but you know, people will be like, "Oh, Jocko, how do you how do you get over depression?" And he's like, "Get over it," and that's it. So, um, so Jocko Willink gets up. I think he gets up at like five o'clock every day, and he always like takes a photograph. He just like does like a thousand press ups, and then takes a photograph of the sweat on the floor, and that's like you know getting on it. You know, like. Um, but I kind of I kind of do the similar kind of thing, but I have to get up at I get up at half past five. I'm a bit of a you know, I'm a bit lazy, so I get up at half past five. So if you have to so I've been trying to drink less tea because if you've got to get up at half past five and you've got to have a piss as well in the middle of the night, 
Uh, it's not good. But um, apparently if you don't have a piss in the middle of the night, you're not drinking enough. don't know if that's true. If you piss in the bed, um, yeah, that would be quite good. Then you could save the... You won't have to get out. Anyway, I'll, I'll, save, I'll save those things up for t- when I'm a bit older. So, um, so the first question, back to the first question, was about the warm bits, keeping your bits warm. Um, I don't mind seeing the word genitalia, but I like I think bits is is a bit more, you know. It's like children might be listening, little bastards. I always wanted to bring I always want to open like a childcare centre called Little Bastards. And I wondered how I wonder how many people would put their kids in there. So um so the warm bits, keeping your bits warm. So there was this famous story about this man uh who was skiing to the South Pole, I think, and he had a piss and he didn't put his dick back into his trousers uh, for some reason. Uh, maybe he was like Italian or something. And he just, uh, he got frostbite basically and he had to amputate his uh, his penis, which is pretty bad. Um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I do know, I do know somebody, uh, a friend of mine, he climbed the north face of the Eiger. I won't, I won't, I won't tell you who the, who the person was, but he was climbing the north face of the Eiger in the wintertime with a with a mountain guide and uh, the mountain guide was like up there somewhere and he was climbing up to him and when he got to him uh, he saw that his dick was hanging out of his trousers and he was like oh you're hanging out you're hanging out there and he, the guide was like yeah man I'm hanging out hanging out on the north face of the eye guy and he's like no no your dick's hanging out and he looked down and so basically he'd uh, got frostbite on his dick and he said, quick, put it in your mouth and defrost it. They always tell you that, don't they? No, but he was basically, he was like, he he, he was in a he was in a bad way. He realised that he basically, his dick was like, gone off when he coloured, it looked like a candle or something. So he was like, oh, we're going to have to get, we're going to have to get, we're going to have to get rescued, you know, for frostbitten dick. So they rang up the rescue helicopter, which is basically on standby, flying over you the entire time when you're on the office of the Anyway, this helicopter came up and it like winched him, winched him off, and it flew down and it landed in a Kleiner Scheidegg, like where the hotel is below, just right below the Eiger, and then flown up like a paramedic, this like beautiful woman, and this beautiful woman was like, "Oh, Monsieur, would you like to me to see your see your injury now, or do you want to wait till we get to the hospital?" And he's like, "I'll wait till I get to the hospital," uh, but luckily he made a full recovery. I think he's had children since, so just shows you it's not the med- the amazingness of medical. Medical uh, things. They put in one of those tanks that um, Luke Skywalker went in, uh, full of water, I think, and and, and made him better. Um, do I have any stories about frostbitten penises? Um, no, not really. Uh, luckily for most men, their penises get so small um, uh, when it's cold that it's not a big problem. So if you do, you know, it's often it's you know maybe it's a good like chat up line like, hey babes, you know, or or mans, um, you know, do you want to see my frostbite? Uh, a, weird, a weird thing is that men's testicles also like tend to retract into their bodies when it's cold or when they're really afraid. Uh, not just if you're like a kung fu master. <laughs> so uh, that's often why sometimes your your harness can get really uncomfortable <laughs> because uh, your your testicles are kind of trying to escape up into your body, and your leg loops can like get in the way, which is always you know you think you're you think you're in dire straits until you're you're uh you know oh my god i think i'm gonna die next minute like oh my balls so um maybe that's like a I don't know, maybe that's a thing to like the animal kingdom or something um so yeah so keeping your keeping your nether regions warm um like one one good well the number one thing is don't wear like 
don't wear cotton. Don't wear any like cottony cotton bottoms. You know, cotton like pants or wife fronts or whatever. Uh, get get something that's gonna like wick. You know, wick away the moisture. And like one, you can buy all these uh, underpanty type things. You know, like sort of uh, briefs which are made out of you know like good materials. And they're pr- they are pretty good. Uh, if you want if you want some sort of serious warmth, you're best getting some uh, some sort of power stretch type uh, uh, sort of like pants. And one like you know like basically you can get you can get some sort of power stretch leggings, not leggings, power stretch like boxer shorts, which are really really warm and they wick really really well and all and all that kind of stuff. And they also do protect your legs a little bit more from um, from chafing, which is uh, a whole. The subject of chafing is is very very complex, and one of the main reasons, unless you're just a big fat bastard, is uh, you've got like uh, sweat sweat crystals like building up on your skin. So if you're really sweaty, it's, it's more of a problem. You can use like Glide or Vaseline and stuff, and that'll that'll help. But wearing like longer things rather than um, Rather than like briefs, uh, is is a good idea. Now the best, probably the best company to buy some some uh, power stretch type bottoms is probably a company called Reef, R E E F, which is a kayaking company that make a. They use a material that's a bit like power stretch, and it dries really well. I think it's probably got less lycra in it because that's the problem with with power stretch of is the lycra and things it, it stops it from drying, and uh, they they do like a really good like like a pair of shorts made out of this material, and they're also quite high, so they're really really good. Um, you know, if you wear you don't want when you what's really important when you're wearing layers is that you don't want loads of seams in the same place. That's why like one piece you know undersuits and 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 shells are really good because you don't have all these seams around your your middle where your harness and stuff is. So although it looks a bit weird, you know, having like longer waisted trousers or and all that kind of all kind of stuff that's good you could also wear if you do have a problem with chafing like if you're doing a a big trip which involves a lot of walking so like you know like summer in the alps you know with big big approaches you know like polar polar kind of stuff like you know long long mountaineering things where you're going to be out for a long time then uh, lycra like lycra like running running kind of type things are, are good uh, like even just wearing shorts, like you know, like the shorts with like an inner and like a nylon outer, because then they're they're also like windproof. Like Helly Hansen, not Helly Hansen, uh, Bo, um, not Bob Graham, uh, Ron Hill. Like they make they make some good ones. Everybody makes some good ones. But if you're gonna buy some like that, I'd actually go and do quite a lot of like exercise in them beforehand, like running in them and stuff, just to make sure the seams don't rub, because a lot of these things are not very well designed sometimes they look like they're going to be great and they're all they're expensive and they've got adidas on them but they're just like crap basically so you know so yeah so i i, I tend i tend to quite like i quite like a uh, new balance stuff just because like steve jobs used to wear new balance trainers so um so if you want to go if you want something like the problem with having like really warm pants really warm underwear is you know you can't really strip strip them off as easily as if you've got like when, it, when you are getting too hot so the other another good clothing to look into is Brynja, which I always go on about Brynja, but it's a Norwegian company that makes uh, like mesh underwear, like uh, Meriklon, 
sort of polypropylene underwear, which is uh, basically the best underwear you can buy. Uh, it's also fairly fairly cheap for what it is. And but in terms of performance, whenever you see like military, the military doing tests on um, loads of different underwear, they'll have like capoline and wool and all this kind of stuff. Like basically, the Brynja always comes out top by like a mile. But it basically, because it's string underwear, it looks shit. So it's not, you know, you're not going to be like chatting anybody up wearing like a string vest, unless it depends on where you are, probably. Um, uh, anyway, so Brynja, they do. They do a uh, some briefs. They do one that's like a wind brief, which is this Meriklon, which is the mesh, and it has like a windproof panel, and it has got it's got some wool in it, so you, your dick's not rubbing against a lot of like cheese cheese grittery uh, Meriklon stuff. And they also do some like longer, like more pant, like you know, like boxer short ones with wind. Some have got wind panels in, and some haven't got wind panels in, and they're 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 really good. And I think you know quite a few other companies do. Uh, pants with like these wind things in whatsoever uh, I find though if you're doing do you know like when you're if you're doing like a polary type thing or something where you're doing a lot of movement the same way in that you know people wear like layers of socks to stop themselves getting chafing and stuff is that or sometimes quite where it's worth like having layers of, of underwear around there because you do lose a lot of heat like people concentrate on their body but basically your torso you know it's like there's, you know there's heat coming out of there as well so so yeah, so uh, my dad, my dad gave me some advice on this. He said just, just get a pair of, just get a spare mitt and just shove it down your trousers. So that's that's probably the, the simplest um, simplest method. You can just, you could just, you could make something as well. You could make, you know, you could make like a little, um, was it not a gherkin? What are those things called? A jerkin? No, that's a jacket. Uh, a cod piece, a little fiber pile. Pertex cod piece. That's uh, that's where to do it. So have another cup of tea break now. Right. Um, number two. Uh, so someone asked me about the fear of falling off, which is a uh, a fear that everyone, <laughs> that most people seem to have, and it's yeah. Some I think it's maybe something you you can't really you can't really. Uh, give a lot of advice about it because it's a very it's a very sort of it's a very personal thing and I guess it's a bit of a journey like I you know I I I think most climbers don't like falling off especially if you like I'm mainly a trad climber so I'm not I'm not keen and I'm not keen at, on falling off uh, you know like I, I just I'm just not into it really because uh, the kind of climbing I'm doing you know it's not overhanging so if you're taking like lots of falls, there's always like little edges and and you know corners and things where you're gonna there's a chance you could like hurt yourself. So this there's this idea that everyone who's climbing should be like taking big whippers, but that's probably not it's probably not a good idea. Like if you're you know if you're at the point where you you know you're Tim Emmett or you're some you know you're it's some really good climber like you know a good like trad climber who's like pushing pushing the boundaries like, um, you know, Hazel Finley or, you know, those kind of climbers, you're generally not taking big whippers off, you know, like a slab or really, you know, a slab. If you are falling off a slab, it's so smooth, you're just going to be sliding down it probably. Uh, if you're taking big falls, if you look at 
um, oh, what's your man who's climbing the bugaboos? You know, you see, you see him, um, you know, taking a massive fall. That basically he's like falling into space. So falling into space is, you know, is fine. But for most, I think if someone's asking, if someone's asking the problem about falling off, it means they're not at that point yet. Because by the time they get to that point, if like climbing like E sevens and things, then they'll they'll have fallen off uh, quite a bit. But saying that the f- the fear of falling off is something that can uh, maybe maybe you shouldn't really think of it as about falling off maybe it's maybe you need to re rethink about what that emotion is about falling off are you like pushing yourself beyond the comfort you know if you feel if you push yourself beyond what you feel comfortable to do then why don't you feel comfortable like what's missing like is are your spider senses telling you that you're shit at placing gear or you don't trust your partner to hold you or it's too run out because you don't know how to place gear. Uh, are you trying? Are you not physically strong enough to climb the routes you're trying? Uh, because when you, once, you, you know, once you're climbing at a level you're comfortable at and you feel very confident in your gear and you're strong enough to stop and put the gear in, then there isn't really a reason why you should be, you should be aware of falling off, but you shouldn't be afraid of falling off. Like if you're afraid of falling off, probably what you want to do is you want to go down a grade or two grades and just climb. Just say to yourself, right, I'm going to climb. I'm going to do like 30 routes. Like if you if you if you if you're trying to do like E1s or something, or you're on, you know, you're going from like five nine to five ten, and you're really really shitting yourself and you're scared all the time. Uh, you're not going to climb very well. You don't climb very well when you're afraid to begin with. Uh, you know, you have to you have to be in a different mindset. You know, so if I was uh, say say if I'm like Pablo Escobar and I get you and I and I throw you into a pit and the pit's got like a line in it and I throw you I throw you a you know like a bamboo stick and I'm like right fight to the death. Like if you're just totally terrified about being eaten by that lion, the lion is going to eat you. But if you get in that thing and you pick up the stick and you're like. I think I can. I think I can do this, and then you get eaten by the lion. You're you're just in a different mental place. You just can you can think more clearly. You can position yourself where the lion can't get behind you. All these kind of things. Where if you just like like I know I've I've been like so afraid sometimes. Like Aronso was so afraid they actually sort of blacked out. Like I don't even know what's you know. It's just you're you're. I don't know if why, but you're you almost can't you can't get the the light into your brain from your eyes because you're just so tense and afraid and you're just somehow like failing, you know, failing to fall off and carrying on up the route, but it's just no fun whatsoever. So I think it's often worth like moving, moving down a little bit and think, right, I'm going to do, I'm going to do like, you know, 20, 30 routes at this grade I feel comfortable at and, and just like really nail that grade and then you know until you like until it's easy, and then just and then just move up again, and then do the same thing. So you're not always you know you're not always in this position of being like off balance the whole time of like because there's so many there's so many you got to nail all the bits. You got to be physically able to climb comfortably. Yeah, you're like sometimes you have to like just go for it. But you if you're just going for it on every single route you do, you're gonna bloody kill yourself. So you just need to save up those times when you're going for it. You know, like basically do 30 routes at that grade and then move up one grade and go for it. 
but then eventually you should get to the point where you find that easy and um and try and focus on why like so for, for me i think a big problem is this not to do with getting pumped in your arms it's having strong feet so you can stand on something for a long time without getting really sore toes or really sore like pumped calves and things so the ability to stand somewhere comfortably for me is more important for me than the ability to to hold on <laughs> probably some climbing routes where holding on isn't you know like i don't i don't remember the last time i got really 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 pumped but um because i you know i'm kind of, i'm only climbing like vertical slabby kind of routes so but i don't remember the last time i got totally boxed pumped because i've got i've got very good at like f- rest resting standing on my feet you know like shaking out all those kind of things but i always try and build up the strength in my uh in my legs really and also i tend to wear boots which are comfortable so i'll wear the boots i usually wear are like um uh, sportiva uh, tc pros because i just find i just really like those kind of boots and very very comfortable like if I, I have some other boots where they've got you know like the slingshot kind of ran thing just find them like really uncomfortable after a while so i just i just find it better to have to be you know i'm not i don't think you need to have these like super they just have to boots just have to fit really and i remember when i was in africa i had a my i got a, a hole in my boots like day one and so four months i was like climbing in boots that had like a hole in the end and then i had a hole in the other one and I was, it was amazing how imp- how it improved my footwork because I was always aware there was a hole and this hole was getting bigger and bigger. So I just placed my feet in a different way, and it really ch- it really kind of changed my uh, perception of my kind of uh, footwork really. So I think a lot of it's to do with the with the feet up to the up to the grades I'm talking about. You know, if you're like a five ten, you know, up to the E three five ten kind of climber, then really think about your feet. Because once you feel comfortable on your feet and you feel you can stand there, then you can stop and you can have, you can have a rest. You can think what you're going to do. You can play some gear. Um, you know, you're not like trying to get off your feet the whole time. And uh, and also the ability to down climb is really important if you're afraid of falling. It's climbing up a little bit, placing some gear, climb back down again, and then climb up and climb past the gear to another rest. That, now that's like a really good um, technique. And then for, and falling off, like, I guess, go to the climbing wall and just practice falling off. Like, the ropes are going to snap. Like, the ropes are super strong. And you will get to the point where you actually enjoy falling off uh, indoors, anywhere. Because um, I, think, I think that's when you probably do start making a breakthrough, when you're no longer thinking about falling off. And that's what you notice. Like, we did a route, uh, last route we did, we climbed in that this is is what towers which are like some towers in oman which are like super super loose you know and there's no gear like it's like limestone like trad limestone on like really uh poor quality limestone where you're just climbing up and pulling off you know like a big a big block this you know like a big block of just throwing off behind you and stuff and because you know you can't fall off the th- you don't think about falling off you're just aware that you shouldn't you shouldn't fall off, but you don't think about it. All it's just a just a general awareness of you can't be falling off here uh, until you get some gear in, and then you feel like you can fall off for a little bit, and then you then you start thinking, well, I can't fall off now. It's too I've, it's too run out. So um, so yeah, so that's that's kind of uh, very different. So, so yeah, because someone else was asking about how do you cope when it's really run out. Like if you suddenly think you're going to fall and kill yourself, 
what do you do so so again like really you shouldn't really get your get yourself into a position where you are so out of it that you think you're going to fall off and kill yourself um it's just not it's just not something i've i've done um like i remembered I, I climbed a route with vanessa in squamish and it was quite the first pitch was quite dirty and it was a 510 510c and really really grotty the first pitch and vanessa was kind of bouldering out this first bit and there was an old piece of like manky rope hanging down and if she blew it she was going to hit the deck because uh, there wasn't any gear and you know she's going to fall like 30 feet you know 30 feet down onto the onto the rocks and i said like just just grab just tie a knot in the rope this piece of rope hanging down from some somewhere and just clip your rope clip a rope into it just just because it's there maybe it'll snap but it's something she's like no 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 that's cheating and she managed to do this move but it was like fucking stupid basically what's the point of like ended up in a wheelchair for for that really so you know some people can do that but not everyone should do that and only minority people should do that and those people will probably end up coming a cropper eventually and so um so yeah try not to try not to get yourself you know it's like uh seeing a lot of skinheads and saying like hey skinheads and then they chase after you and you run straight into like a you know like a a dead end and they beat you up beat you to a pulp is you shouldn't get yourself into any dead ends. You should always be thinking about what, like, like sometimes you, th- you know, sometimes the route where you think, oh, if I can, uh, like, when you're climbing like Tuolumne Meadows and places, there's some routes which are really, really run out, and you're just thinking like, oh, when I get up to this position here, I'll be able to like, there'll be like, a, there's a fixed peg or there's some, there's a bolt there or something, and you'll just kind of slowly. Like you're almost like every move you're doing, you think, can I climb? Can I reverse this? Can I reverse this? And on a slab, it's actually quite hard to reverse some of the some of the, you know a hard slab. And you'll just get to this position, and you'll realise there isn't there isn't a peg there, and there's nothing there. And uh, you'll have to you almost go into this that kind of soloing, you know, I can't fall off kind of mindset. But that's not a, that's not a mindset you should be in. If you're just sketchy and terrified and can't see anything, um, so like learning how to down down climb, you know that kind of stuff, and just sometimes just back off and just say, uh, it's not it's not worth it. I'm not going to do. It. I'm not ready for this. I'm not you know, um, and uh, just get just get good at placing you know just get good at placing gear, place lots of gear. Like don't be afraid. Never never think, oh, someone's going to think I'm a, I'm a wimp because I've just placed, like, two wires here or, you know, I've placed a really good belay or whatever. Like, when you're leading, you can place as much gear as you want. And in fact, the more gear you place, the stronger you are. That's why I kind of think of it. You know, someone who, like, runs out of pitch and only puts two wires in, you know, they may think they're, like, really, really hardcore, but they're, they're not really. They're, you know, you've got to be professional about it. You've got to... Protect your second, protect yourself. Uh, if the rock's not very good, you've got to place a lot of gear. Uh, and even if the rock's not good, you want to be placing gear, you know, as often as you can. And the more the more gear you place, the quicker you are placing it, the better your partner gets at taking it out. And, uh, you know, just, you know, there's a, there's a time to run it out and there's a time not to run it out. And when you, when you don't have to run it out, don't run it out. So, yeah. So, yeah, so fear of falling, hopefully, if anyone has any... Any other ideas, feedback, like email me that. 
So, so I'm going to finish off because uh, I'm trying to learn how to read. Uh, so, a while ago, I did this thing. It was called 365 Climbing Tips, and the idea was to write a climbing tip every day for 365 days. And he only got to about 50, and then I stopped because basically it was taking up too much time to do it. Uh, I might I might revisit it, but I'm basically trying to finish a book at the moment. It just doesn't with this podcast and everything else. I haven't got time to do it. So. So I was going to, uh, I thought, because I'm trying to learn how to read uh, and sound natural, like I'm actually saying it, so uh, for something else. So I'm going to go, I'm going to read this little tip. Uh, I'm going to go out backwards on the tips every Tuesday. And then uh, maybe there's some like really, really terrible crap ones in there. I'll, I'll, I'll fish them out. And some of the, I think some of them are quite good. Some of them are really obvious. Like some of them, like what well, the, the thing is, you end up, you know, you write a tip. I think I end up. I think I've not. I've not blocked many people on my uh, on my social media. I think I've, I only ever blocked like one person. I think who was a psychopath, um, <laughs> Sean Kenny. If you're listening, I'm talking about you. And uh, only I only blocked him for his own benefit because he just sounded like a crazy person, and that's my job. Um, uh, I think I, I, blo- I blocked James McAfee uh, because, like, I would put a tip. I'd put a tip up there. And like James is like one of the best climbers in the world, and he's like super super experienced. He's climbed all around, all around the world, uh, but he has this um, this trait that a lot of really good climbers there have, which is he's just a bit of a knobhead sometimes. In that um, I love him really, but he, I think uh, I don't know. Like you, you, you can never you can never underestimate how little someone knows or how little someone understands. So you know, if you start saying how to tie a figure of eight. Or like how to tie a figure of eight, um, you know, in the middle of a rope, or how you know, like how to how to coil a rope, uh, how to how to make a cordlet smaller, or how to tie off a cordlet when it's just a strand. Like people, like everyone knows that, you know, like how to tie your shoelaces on your rock boots that don't come undone, you know, like like really really obvious stuff. But people just don't often know it. They don't know how what's a good length of a cordlet or. Loads of loads of stuff we just you take for granted. So I think I think like James James has been a bit too uh he's just been a bit too critical of my of my top tips. And uh I don't I am like I told you, like I said on, on my last podcast, I'm very sensitive. And you and often when you're doing this kind of stuff, you're like, no one's bloody paying me for this. Do you know what I mean? I'm taking my time to write this top tip and I'm right and I'm drawing a little picture with it and I put it on Instagram and on Twitter and all this kind of shit and yeah maybe someone might buy a book or something but the amount of effort that goes into it and the amount of return on selling a book I'm basically doing it for free so don't give me a hard time about it you know like go off and start your own website and do your own thing so anyway so hopefully maybe I might I might let him I might, I might unblock him but hopefully he's got he's gone off social media now because it's like anyway it's cancer so not, he's not cancer but social media is, um, uh, yeah so I'm just going to read this this was tip number fifty I think, and it was about um, it's about a problem that a lot of climbers have. I just need to have another last cup of tea. It's, it's getting cold now, so last last cup of tea, last last drink of tea. Ah, right. Uh, I sound a bit like Scott Adams. I don't, know if ever, I don't know if anybody listens to Scott Adams, his podcast, um, but he always drinks coffee at the beginning. So I don't want to, some people think I'm a Scott Adams kind of guy, you know, because he's, you know, you know, you know, he might be a great, he might be a funny guy and, you know, very insightful, but, you know, his 
dubious. You don't want him to think I'm anything to do with Scott Adams. So, although I've been talking about pissing in analogy bottles, so how much, how bad can it get? So here, here we go. When you're climbing on double ropes, it's vital that you try and keep both strands separate, as twists form tangles and tangles create distractions. One way to avoid these unnecessary problems is to just avoid the problem in the first place and just be proactive, not reactive. Always try and sort out the ropes into two piles before you start, one on the left and one on the right, the leader's rope coming off the top of each, and in brackets, don't just sort it out as the leader is climbing, as this is, this is as dumb as sorting, it out, sorting out your parachute once you've jumped out of a plane. I tend to always have one rope that's red, so always start with that on the right, red for right. Uh, once you've got your two piles, uh, tie the red into the right side of your tying point and the other rope into the left. The belay should always tie into one rope, but not both. If you're, if you're not tying in at all, tie a knot in both ends, both so the ends are easy to see and stop you, stop your... Stop your, stop you lowering off the, lowering off the leader. Stop, so I've got a mistake here. Stop you uh, busy lowering the leader off the end of the rope and killing them. Yes, tar- yes, trad climbing needs the same level of safety as sport climbing. The red goes on the right slot of the belay device and the other rope into the, into the left. Now you'll have no twists on either side of the belay device before you start climbing. The second only ties into the other other rope when it's time to climb, as this allows any twists that have occurred to be removed, as any twists at the second rope's end will become twists when they begin leading. Keeping your rope separate is much harder on hanging belays, but it is possible generally by tying the two ropes off or hanking, stacking them off to either side of the belay. Tying off the rope directly into a sling, cord or chain with a slip knot works well, giving you 12 times 5 metre loops. Untying one rope is generally the best way for the leader to remove twists before they're put on belay, while on a multi-pitch climb, as it's just as just spending 60 seconds sorting out the ropes at each belay, especially if you're not swinging leads. As with many aspects of climbing, being lazy and trying to just work around a problem tends to be a false economy. Sort shit out before it before shit happens. So that was terrible. I read that terribly. That anyway, but I wrote it terribly as well. So it's not it's not my fault. Um, so does that make sense to anybody listening to this? So basically, before you start, you've just separate both ropes into two piles. If you're American, you don't know what I'm talking about because you only have one rope anyway, and you're like you're like tagline or some kind of line that's just a pain in the ass. Um, so you got your, your your two ropes, one on one side, one on the other side, separating them out. And then you take the rope from one side, which is usually, for me, a red rope, and uh, tie it in. And then you uh, tie the other rope on the other side, so that, so you're like, you know, coming up into your harness. And then the B layer, uh, they put the ropes in the same in the same way. So, you, you know, you put the ropes, so you've got like the red on the red, red on the right side, the other rope on the other side. I think, what, what color is my rope? I can't remember now. Uh, orange or something. Um, and then, but the B layer doesn't tie into... They only tie into one one strand of the rope, uh, and not the other one, because uh, you often do get like some sort of like twist twisty thing at the end, and you might need to then then just tie in right right at the very end. 
so yes, yeah, so it, it works quite well. Um, it helps you to not end up with that problem where you see like often climbers end up with like a twist in the rope, uh, which can get like caught in the caught in the gear. Um, yeah, and as more like they just know that like you know the first few pieces of gear on the right hand side go in the red rope, and then the first piece on the left hand side go into the other rope, and uh, you know keeps everything sort of in their head. You, you can sort of see what's see what's going on. And when you get to the when you get to the B layer, uh, yeah, there's, there's various ways. Of, you, like often, like I'm not, I've never been very good at like being tidy at B layers. Um, so often I'll it depends where it is. Like sometimes I'll just if you if you're on like a small ledge, I'll just B lay the person up, and I'll just B lay all the rope down into onto the ledge, and then when they come up. Then I'll just like really quickly sort the two ropes out into two piles again, and then they'll set off, which is a little bit slower. But it's just um, it's just a bit of a, sometimes a bit of a pain to be trying to like feed the rope out into different piles and stuff. Just just get it all sorted out before you start. It only takes like a minute. And then uh, and if it's like on a hanging bee layer, the, the technique I generally use is I just um, I just tie so like as the rope's coming down, it's creating a loop. So it's coming, you know, so you. Say you're like 40 meters up uh, on the B layer, so you're going to pull up like 20 meters of slack. So I'll pull up the first 10 meters, and then I'll uh, then I'll take that piece of uh, rope and I'll tie it around uh, with like an overhand knot into the B layer, like into the cordlet or whatever, into the sling. So it's got like an overhand knot. So basically, I can untie it. I don't, it's not. It's just an overhand. So I can just pull it, and it'll just come undone. So I'll tie that loop in. I'll pull another 10 meters. Pull it up tight in. So I've got like I've got like there's actually if I've got f- double ropes, is that four four five meter loops hanging down? And I'll just keep doing that. And then um, and when the other person when the other person comes to the B layer, we'll just sort the B layer out. You know, we'll just like change it out or something. Um, you can like you can like just loop it over, and you can do this thing where each loop each loop is bigger than the one before if the second's taking over. Is that right? And then anyway, so it's usually a mess. Right, I usually just make a, a big mess. It's good if you climb with people who aren't very experienced and are a bit afraid, because if you leave a real mess for them to sort out, then they'll generally just be thinking more about that and more about you being an asshole for, for leaving them with such a mess. Um, so yeah, and if you're really really bad, if you really if you have a real total problem with ropes, like some people do, they just have this like. You know, the kind of people who don't have to put a harness on, they just have a, they have an even worse time with the ropes, is invest in some, like, or make one yourself, make a little uh, rope bag, uh, like a rope bucket, where the bag goes into it on each B-layer, and, uh, which are quite quite good if you're climbing on sea cliffs and things where you don't want the rope to, like, go in the water. And you can just, you can just use something like the smaller IKEA bag is quite good for that, and you just stick it in your... If you've got, like, a little climbing pack, you can go in there... We can just make one out of some nylon, um, bit of nylon, you know. But yeah, kind of, kind of handy. They're kind of def- the default thing to use on a big wall because if it's windy, um, you know, it'd be good. It'd probably good for lots of things, but people, you know. Um, so yeah, I think that was. I think that's it. So does that make? So that's kind of uh, that's a little bit like sucking eggs for some people. Like most people, are like, oh yeah, God, everyone does that. But a lot of people don't do that because I've, you know, I climb a lot and I see a lot of people who don't do that. So they just generally have like a big mess of rope at the bottom and they just assume that the rope's going to like feed out really, really well. And generally it doesn't. And there's always this kind of, oh, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. 
you know, someone's on the crooks, the crooks move, you know, on the back of the area and, and they're just like, you know, just hang on a minute, hang on a minute. It's like, oh, Christ almighty. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's it. So if anybody has any questions, any uh, remarks, um, I've had like loads of people asking about... Um, lanyards so i'm just i'm saving that up for like a special edition it's probably gonna be like a bumper edition it's gonna be like amazing i'm actually working on a little i saw they're doing like touching the void the musical i'm thinking of doing like one based around uh lanyards uh which is uh there was that famous uh thing called flan <laughs> flambards so the thing you're doing like a version of flambards but based around instead of race around planes uh lanyards which is a very obscure uh, comment. Um, and also, thank you for all the great feedback about my uh, curry. That's people replying now already, and I've even posted this. Um, thanks for all the, uh, the great feedback on the curry recipe. Now, I might have to do another, I might have to do some more recipes, uh, cooking with Andy or something. Uh, and uh, I'm still eating, only eating curry, so, so yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll probably do some more curry type things in the future. But it's very, it's great to, to know that all this, all these like you know like twenty hours of uh, of podcasting. The main thing that you everyone's got out of it is curry. So curry recipe. I was, I, I will, I might actually try and get in touch with Chris Bonington because I'm on like first name, first name terms with him. You know, I call him Chris. He calls me like who, and uh, we. Because yeah, I want to find out what his curry recipe is because he must have a good one. I might I might do like a whole series of like curry recipes. I might get Doug Scott and uh, all these new climbers. All be vegans, so he they will they will uh, have any one anything worth eating anyway. So you know, only one percent of people are vegans in uh, in the UK. It's amazing, isn't it? But don't you know it? Yeah. Anyway, so on that bombshell, I know I did the pissing in a bottle, but I've pushed it too far with the vegans. So I do apologise. Um, I shall uh, try and post another podcast. When I say try, I probably will. Um, on Thursday, stroke Friday. Anyway, have a good day. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.